Democrat Congressman Jim Langevin. He's back in Rhode Island. He got in late Thursday night. It must have been a disappointing Thursday, Congressman, because you thought you would wrap up the spending bill. Unfortunately, the far left members of your party, the progressives, are derailing that and embarrassing the president. You pick up, pick it up. Well, we're getting closer to the finish line, Gene, and uh, we, this is a, a large spending bill that's going to do many good things, both for the country and for working families in our in our country. And we're right now fine-tuning what that final package will be. Mm -hmm. As you know, because uh, the number started pretty high at a $3.5 trillion package, right. and now we're negotiating something that's much uh, uh, modest, if you want to call it that. It's still a robust package, but it's a 1.7 trillion package is the number that we've coalesced around. And by the way, that's in addition to the $1.2 trillion infrastructure package, the hard right. infrastructure for roads and bridges. But the, the this other infrastructure package, the soft infrastructure package, as they call it, it's going to give uh, get support to middle-class families and, uh, with uh, tax credits for yeah. uh, child care and uh, and uh, support for affordable housing and expanded uh, uh, support for our uh, broader health care infrastructure. Those things are being uh, fine-tuned right now. We can see the light at the end of the tunnel and confident that we're going to get it across the finish line. Okay, boy. All right, listen, you're pretty positive. What I hear is that, yeah, you got the $1 trillion. That was a bipartisan thing. The Senate agrees to that. But you're fighting over this. It was supposed to be $3 trillion. Now it's down to $1.75 You're ready to vote on it because you understand compromise. But from what I'm hearing from Nancy Pelosi and the president, the far-left members of your party don't understand compromise. They want it all, and they want it now, and they're going to block it, Congressman. Isn't that the truth? No, the truth is actually they understand that it's not going to be the the progressives understand it's not going to be the three point five trillion dollar package. The the votes are not there because uh, Senator Manchin and Senator Cinema uh, wouldn't support a number that high, and so the number has come down to we've negotiated it down to something that is uh, lower than the original number that we started with. But it's still you know a one point seven trillion dollar package is robust. Uh, I was with the president uh, yesterday uh, morning. And as the president himself outlined, he said, you know, if, if any one of the individual provisions uh, in this package were to be brought up before the Congress and said, we've compromised on this, yeah. uh, for example, the, the, the support for child care and make sure that no family is paying more than 7% of their income uh, for, for child care or making the, uh, the refundable child tax credit permanent, any one of these things, we would be cheering and saying what a great democratic victory it is. Yep. So, you know, but, you know, collectively, it's a, it's a, it's a, 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 a exciting package that's going to do so much for our country and for working families, but we've got to get it across the finish line yep. and it's a negotiation. You're having, it's, a, you're, going on. you're having a tough time. The president came up to the Capitol, pleaded with the people, please pass it. Uh, Nancy Pelosi said, don't embarrass the president. His entire presidency is at stake. All the reporters are chasing down AOC and Jayapal. They're not chasing you and they're not chasing Cicilline or Auchincloss across, across state lines. They want those progressives because they're holding it up, Congressman. You know that. You're being very, you're being very diplomatic, but lay it, lay it out. Well, I'm very pragmatic, and I understand how uh, there are passions on both sides of this, but we've got to find a compromise. And the president himself said, you know, it is a negotiation. It is a compromise. Uh, it's a, he, we're building on consensus, and we're finding that consensus. We all see the light at the end of the tunnel. The president is the closer. 
That's why he was on Capitol Hill with us yesterday. Uh, we, we we had a lot of the, uh, enthusiasm in that room. There was a lot of uh, talk about the highlighting the many provisions that are that are in the bill that I've that I've outlined that are going to be exciting changes and and help for for uh, for middle class families and families at the lower end of the income scale. And uh, you know, as the president was leaving the room, I had a chance to talk to him. I I shook his hand and I said, Mr. President. I said, in the words of this, of a great philosopher, this is a big freaking deal. I didn't, maybe it was a little more specific with the president uh, than that, but you get the point. This is a big deal. Okay. I, I'm going to ask you if you spoke to the president about how disappointed you were in the way he pulled out of Afghanistan. You were on the radio with me and you said it was an absolute disaster, unexcusable, they didn't listen to people, and now look what they left us, a broken Afghanistan in the end. I, I know you don't want to embarrass the president, but have you communicated to him or his people how disappointed you were in the way that ended? Yeah, both publicly and private, I've let the administration know where I stand. I'm not going to be shy about uh, calling it as I see it. Uh, I thought that it was the the wrong decision to pull out of Afghanistan in the way that we did. Uh, and and I said that uh, that it was not the right course of action. It, it's a catastrophe. I stand by what I said both then and, and now. I felt that uh, the 2,500 troop presence that was there yeah. uh, was a bargain in the sense that by backing up the, the Afghan security forces, that we were we maintaining a stable Afghanistan. I understand that 2,500 troops on their own would not do the job, but we weren't doing the fighting. We were bringing more the providing the logistics mm -hmm. and the backup for and the you know the uh, the, the reconnaissance and other uh, intelligence information to the Afghan security forces who were doing the fighting and the securing uh, of Afghanistan. So I felt that it was a it was the right course of action to keep okay. that troop presence there for a longer period of time to maintain a stable Afghanistan so that the uh, groups like al-Qaeda uh, or ISIS could not plot and plan uh, against it. So that was my position then. It's my position now. Right. And I am concerned about where we're going and, and uh, the ability for al-Qaeda or uh, ISIS to reconstitute and plot and plan against it. So I had a briefing earlier this week uh, about over-the-horizon ability to to uh, to strike at those mm -hmm. and should they constitute but it's not an ideal situation all right uh, in the end they didn't listen to you they didn't listen to jack reed and from what i hear general milley said the president didn't even listen to me should the average american at home be concerned that president biden is listening to anybody at this point we got a crisis there are americans trapped there they can't get out look the we all want our troops to come home uh, eventually uh the president wanted to accelerate that timeline he's the uh the commander-in-chief he gets to make that that call mm -hmm. uh we have to make sure that we are exercising uh all uh, ability right now to understand what's happening in afghanistan and prevent any entity from plotting and planning against us that is my goal as a, as a senior member of the house armed services committee mm -hmm. and i'm going to be pressing the administration in every way possible to make sure that we have our eyes focused on the potential threats uh, coming from Afghanistan and we eliminate it, cut it out, cut it off uh, early if uh, those threats arise to the greatest degree possible that we uh, can do that. I have a lot to get to, just a minute in this segment. Immigration. The president has another caravan coming up. 
They arrived in Mexico. They're walking up. They're going to be here. It's going to be another disaster at the border. I know you don't agree with President Trump on the way he handles things, but do you agree with the way this president is handling immigration? It seems it's a little too loose down there, even to the average person who's sympathetic to the plight of people who want a better life. Congressman. Look, I, I want uh, secure borders, but I also want a compassionate and comprehensive uh, immigration uh, system that's, that, so we achieve comprehensive immigration reform. You know, several years ago, the United States Senate passed a strong bipartisan uh, immigration reform bill. We never got under Republican control, never got a, even a chance to vote on that bill. I want to see comprehensive immigration reform. Okay before the Congress and let's fix our broken immigration system. So we end the caravans and end uh, the, those who are trying to come across the border illegally. I don't support uh, illegal immigration. I don't support people coming uh, across the border with, with that uh, are not properly documented. Uh, the, the best way that we can secure our borders and prevent that from happening right. is achieve comprehensive immigration reform and fix our, our, our immigration system. Congressman Jim Langevin is with me. Congress, just a couple of footnotes from that last topic talking about immigration. Uh, the Biden administration is seriously thinking of giving uh, people who are separated at the border, border may have been traumatized by that. Wall Street Journal says up to $450,000 per person, maybe a million dollars per family. I understand people were traumatized. Nobody wanted that. Nobody wants anybody harmed. But the notion of paying illegals who came across the country against the law, any settlement or any money near that sounds preposterous to people. You say what to that report? Gene, that's the first I've heard of that report, so uh, it's something I'd have to look into it. I can't comment. It's not a proposal I'm familiar with. All right, fair enough. It's in the Wall Street Journal. I'm sure you'll take a look at it after we tape. Was the border situation better under President Trump? And can you say that? At some point, it, you know, it, it ebbed and flowed. There were still people that were trying to get across uh, the border illegally. And uh, look, I don't support coming across the border illegally. We need to make sure we have tough border security. But the best thing that we can do is to make sure that we have a, a, a fix our broken immigration system and uh, eliminate the backlogs of people wanting to come here. And uh, the people I understand are desperate for a better life. And some of these countries are horrible living conditions. They're, they're, they're living under threats of violence. I mean, I, I can't imagine how desperate a, a mother is that she, in, a, in, a, in one of these countries that is so poor, the threats of violence, that they would send their young children Mm -hmm. on this treacherous journey, uh, more than a thousand miles, to get to a, a better life in America, send them on their own. I, I can't imagine that kind right. of desperation. That, that is what they're facing. It doesn't make it right, but I'm saying that the best way that we can deal with this is fix our, our gross, broken immigration system and just make sure that we have yeah. strong border security. Ted Cruz says uh, he wants 12, 13 new ports of entry, including Block Island, Rhode Island, and Newport. If he has to suffer in Texas, you should suffer too up here in Rhode Island. You said keep Rhode Island out of your mouth, Ted Cruz. <laughs> well, what's going on? Yeah, I, I was very upset by Ted Cruz and his callous comments. I think he's a clown in a lot of ways. And uh, if he wants to get serious about uh, immigration reform and, and doing something about it, he can work with this in a bipartisan way, like the, the Senate did years ago when they passed that strong bipartisan immigration reform bill, and, and let's fix our broken immigration system. But uh, when, when Ted Cruz does, but, you know, uh, callously uh, talking about Rhode Island that way, yeah, I'm going to call him out, and I did. Yeah, you don't think that was just tweaking you a little bit, you know, sarcastically uh, throwing that out there? Well, if I have to suffer, you you too. You took it seriously? Yeah, this is a very serious issue. The immigration reform is a very serious issue. And he, and he, and he should stop playing what I call childish games and get serious about legislating. 
Okay. Uh, you are the party's point person on cybersecurity. We've been talking about it since you got in Congress, warning about it. You know, you're on a television station that got hacked. Uh, we believe the Russians got us here and holding, uh, holding us up for ransom. I'm lucky that I have you uh, today on this computer setup. Uh, we're vulnerable, and is the country's vulnerable. Has anything improved? Yeah, I, I heard about the, the situation at, uh, at Channel 10 getting hit by ransomware. And unfortunately, this, this ransomware uh, epidemic is, is pervasive everywhere. And we need to double down to make sure that we are both going after the hackers, preventing them from... Uh, from acting with impunity. Uh, I was in the Oval Office with President Biden uh, going back a couple of months ago, and I complimented him on the work uh, that he's doing on, on cybersecurity and how he's calling out the Russians to do more mm -hmm. to crack down on entities that are, uh, that, that are operating within their borders to carry out these ransomware attacks. But we are finally at the stage after years of, of, of trying and, and working to make sure that we have all the right people in place. I was able to get legislation enacted that created the first ever Senate confirmed national cyber director. Chris Inglis is mm -hmm. that inaugural director. Uh, we have uh, more robust support going to the cybersecurity and infrastructure security agency at DHS now. And uh, once we pass our appropriations bill, bills, there'll be uh, millions of dollars wow. going during uh, briefing up that, that agency. So we are we are getting stronger and better, and uh, we need to continue to lead on the international front with our partners and allies around the world. Cybersecurity is an ongoing, pervasive challenge. It's not going to go away anytime soon. We need to make sure that we are more resilient, so the bad guys can't get in the right. first place. They do get in, they can't get anything, uh, and uh, making sure that we're all practicing good cyber hygiene. Well, making sure that Find security patches and all the other things that go along with keeping us secure. Getting into a television company is one thing. Getting into the government and fiddling with what could be military uh, systems, which I know you're worried about as well, is another all thing. Very but, serious issues for sure. Cybersecurity is the number one security challenge that we're facing. And you know who's behind it. Putin knows who's behind it. He could pick up the phone and, and stop it if he wants. And that leads me to the Chinese. They have a hand in this as well, and boy, they have a hand in a lot of things these days, surprising us with supersonic missiles. Are we being tough enough on China, and are we being tough enough in finding out just where the Wuhan virus came from? So we need to realize that and, and continue to expect that China will be an ongoing uh, challenge and rival to us in the world. We hope that they don't become an enemy, but they are a rival, and they're going to continue to challenge us in so many ways, both economically and militarily. Uh, I was concerned, of course, by this uh, recent uh, revelation of the uh, hypersonic missile right. that they have developed. We are in the process of doing that. In fact, it's my subcommittee that oversees the research and development work uh, on uh, hypersonics. I know that we are developing uh, hypersonic uh, missile technology as well. Uh, but right now, it looks like the, the Chinese uh, are ahead of us, and we need to make sure we close that gap, and I'm determined to make sure that we do. You don't have to let any secrets up, but General Milley seemed to call it a Sputnik moment that we were like, wow, they could do that? Were you saying, wow, they could do that? Did it catch you by surprise? Well, we knew that just as we are developing hypersonic missile technology, the, the, uh, the China is doing the same, Russia is doing the same. It's the, it's the missile technology of, of the future. Mm -hmm. But in this one, it looks like uh, China has uh, a, a, a advantage in terms of a, a couple of years, uh, advantages in terms of this hypersonic missile technology. We will get there as well and have a, a robust hypersonic missile force. But I'm also working on a way. I am one of the leaders in the Congress on the technology to intercept uh, things like uh, the hypersonic missile okay. technology. 
directed energy weapons. Laser technology is a, is a weapon system of the future. Because of my direct support and leadership, uh, we now have uh, robust laser systems that are being developed. In fact, we have a, a laser weapon system on the USS Portland that is in theater right now uh, on, on a ship that uh, has the potential to, uh, to intercept uh, things like both not only low-flying drones, but also missiles that could be aimed at our troops in the fleet. We just have a couple of minutes left. Let's look to some uh, issues closer to home here in Rhode Island. The members of Congress, the delegation, got Rhode Island $1.2 billion in COVID relief money. It hasn't been spent yet. Now, Governor McKee, Governor McKee wants about 10% freed up. It seems to me the leadership is holding on to that, particularly going into a political year. They said, well, there's process, hearings to go. Is this the way you wanted that to work? You got us a billion. Should that money have been spent yet? Well, we are still in the middle of a pandemic. And going back early on, uh, myself, along with uh, my colleagues in the delegation, our focus was getting the, the, the federal dollars mm -hmm. as robustly as possible to Rhode Island. And now it's up to state leaders to make sure that that money gets to where it's supposed to go. I hope we can get it out the door as quickly as possible. It should be, every dollar should be spent for the purpose that it was intended to be spent for. Again, dealing with the effects of COVID, helping yeah. our small businesses. I want that money out the door as soon as possible. So I encourage our state leaders, the governor and the uh, legislative leaders and, and, and the members of the House and the Senate around to, to hopefully get that money uh, out into the community as soon as possible. We just have one minute. I know you're disappointed in the RICARE scores that just came out. We tanked. We, know, we understand the pandemic and laptop learning, but it's, it's systemic, it's historic. The numbers are bad. Kids in Rhode Island, a lot of them can't read or write and they can't do basic math. Take 30 seconds to sum that up. You went to school in Rhode Island. Yeah, look, I'm, I'm, I'm very proud of our, uh, the, the, uh, the work that's done in, in education in so many ways. It's a tough job, uh, but I know that our educators are on the front lines every day. And trying to have to adapt during the pandemic was not easy. And I'm sure that there are going to be consequences as a result of not having kids in the classroom. Mm -hmm. But again, we had to do what we needed to, do to try to adapt. The, we did the best. The educators did the best that we could. They could to to get our, our kids, you know, up to speed and yeah. keeping them at grade level. Obviously, there's work to do, and we're going to redouble our efforts. I know they are going to redouble their efforts to make sure that our kids get caught up. Those grade scores are going to improve in the future. Uh, I have no doubt. The pandemic was a setback. None of us wanted it. We're thrown into right. this situation, educators especially, and uh, we need to make sure we're doing the right thing by our kids. By making sure we'll let you hold it there. Congressman, I've got to hold it there, but thank you for joining me, and thank you for being with us. That's 10 News Conference, region's number one and longest-running political program. We'll have the congressman back again soon.